Another Wendell Wallace production for your listening pleasure. Wendell Wallace here, so get on up and get on down. Time to shine, moving to the soul number by the genius of Stevie and Wonder. As I thunder into the next episode of the podcast that is unique, complete with sports take and opinions that are thought-provoking, I ain't no joking like the God Rock Cam, so let the talent and flow of my show begin. I introduce to you this podcast named Wendell's World of Sports, so please give me a round of applause as I try to pause in your cause or theory that clearly there is not a sports talk podcast that could fulfill your appetite. Delight in my podcast and let your listening ears digest the best program that demands and commands your full attention as I have no pretensions about the amount of dimension my program goes into. If I'm losing, I'll come back and win the game like the Astros of Houston or the Mariners of Seattle. I'll rattle the podcast and cattle and chattel with a program that soars with the vocal strength of Maria Callas along with being devastating and dominating like the defense of the Cowboys from Dallas. So, no more words out of you, not a whisper, murmur, or peep. The price for you to compete is way too steep. Like Matt Hardy, I will have your podcast on delete. The beatdown will be sound incomplete. Motivated by my hero, I try to make my comments powerful like the legendary icon Malcolm X. I flex my communication skills that kill the competition when I come correct. Detect those who are using yawn-inducing dialect. So if you want any piece of me in the words of Bill Goldberg... Wendell's World of Sports, watch, enjoy, like, comment, and subscribe to my YouTube channel and download, subscribe, follow, rate, review, and enjoy anywhere, anyhow, any way you listen to your favorite podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World is Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Ruin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Good morning, good abend, que pasa, bonjour, bonsoir, what is happening, konnichiwa, namaste, wassalam alaikum, what is happening, what is going on, Wendell Wallace here of Wendell's World in Sports, so doggone glad that you could be with us, a lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports, before I get into what is happening, I want to say thank you so much. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast, iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, Amazon. If you could do me a favor, if you like what you're listening to, if you could just go ahead and download, subscribe, follow, rate, review, give me them five stars. Most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. And if you want to see how the sausage is made in terms of the video of my podcast, go over to my YouTube channel. That's Wendell's World and Sports, W-E-N-D-E-L-L apostrophe S, World and Sports. If you like what you're listening to, if um, single ladies not ready to put a ring on it yet, but the single ladies between the ages of 42 and 49 are looking oh so fine. If you uh, 
if you like what you see, yeah, yeah, go over and uh, subscribe to my uh, video, like the video, and subscribe to my YouTube channel, all of those good things. All right, let's go ahead and speak about what is happening in the world of sports. We got to start off with, yes, week six of the NFL. Good weekend, great weekend when you're speaking about football Saturday and Sunday in the NFL on Sunday for the top five teams going into the weekend going up against each other yes i'm speaking about the matchup between the kansas city football team and the buffalo bills along with the sunday night football game between the philadelphia eagles and the dallas cowboys the bills living up to the hype through the first third of the season both the best team in the league after his victory over Kansas City 24-20. No, I'm not going to call it a revenge game. It's definitely not one of those, but when you take a look at the uh, season so far that the Bills have had and look at the teams that they've beaten, yes, I know that the Los Angeles Rams and the Baltimore Ravens, those two teams, have not lived up to the hype so far of what their prognostications and expectations were, but still, when you're speaking about beating the defending champions to open up the season, going ahead and beating the Baltimore Ravens in comeback fashion, when you speak about beating the Tennessee Titans and then clobbering the Pittsburgh Steelers along with then Kansas City, which is probably the most uh, impressive victory by any of the contenders so far uh, this season, that you have to say that uh, despite the fact that Philadelphia remains unbeaten, that the Bills are the best team in the league against the Kansas City football team. They won a game more likely to play than the one they played the season before when we're speaking about the up-and-down nature and the high scoring. I think the Bills did what they needed to do to get themselves a defense and a defensive playmaker to make sure that there's not that type of offensive explosion from Kansas City. And with Kansas City, on the other hand, them losing Tyreek Hill, they're not as explosive and they're more methodical in terms of scoring points, even though each one of those offenses, tops in the league, can go ahead and score 35, 42 points a game. I think that the Bills and the um, Kansas City football team, if they were to meet in a playoff game or an AFC championship game, you would see a game similar to what we saw this past weekend, and not that the, not the one that we saw in the uh, playoffs. Um, if you take a look at Buffalo, had acceptable balance on the offensive side of the ball, and again, all comes back to once again, what is your definition of balanced offense? Yes, the more time that you can run the football, which means you're establishing the lines of scrimmage, the better for a team to win the football game. Without question, without doubt, especially if they have a defense as strong as the Bills. But when you're speaking about putting the hands in the, the ball in the hands of Josh Allen and letting him do his thing, both as a runner and as a passer, you want to be you you want to be selective when you call running plays for Allen because you don't want to have him out there taking shot after shot after shot, but still a situation where, yeah, Buffalo, it would be nice for them to pass the ball on a 50-50 basis, but for, for example, in the game against Kansas City, it was a situation where they threw the ball 40 times, they ran the ball 31 times, but in those 31 uh, rushing attempts, they ran for 140 yards. Devin Singletary, the true running back, ran 17 times for 85 yards. So what's that's happening? What's happening then is that Buffalo is establishing that line of scrimmage, which makes Josh Allen even more 
devastating, even more dangerous, which makes Stephon Diggs even more dangerous, which makes the Buffalo Bills offense even more dangerous if you can come off of a play-action passes where you know that there's going to be a threat of the running game and the methodical approach that the Bills had in running the football in terms of they didn't break any long uh, runs. This wasn't a situation where Devin Singletary ran 17 times for 85 yards and his longest run was longest run of the game was 55 yards. This was a this was a rushing attack by Buffalo and an offensive um, performance by the Bills, which really was not made to light the scoreboard up, but was to keep Kansas City's offense on the bench as long as possible while putting up points, while being efficient, not in a conservative way by any means, if you're speaking about Josh Allen throwing the ball 40 times, but in a case where the more drive that we can put together, the less drive that Kansas City can put together, especially now when you're speaking about this new Kansas City football teams on how they're scoring runs. If, they, if I can equate it to baseball to where they're going to be hitting, they're going to be scoring runs by hitting doubles and singles and not hitting, you know, mammoth grand slam home runs and such like that and putting up quick numbers. Well, that makes it more advantageous for uh, Buffalo to do what they did and with the offseason moves that they made uh, to win a football game on the road like they did in Kansas City. A team that can run the football and a team that can play defense. It really doesn't matter what type of weather that we're speaking about. That is the formula to win a football game. So again, Buffalo showing that they have the defense to win. If you take a look at the statistics by the Bills, currently ranked number two in overall defense in the league. First in points allowed when you're speaking about averaging only 13.5 points a game. I spoke before in my last podcast about the best defense being the Dallas Cowboys and how the one of the reasons why I say that, and I still believe that despite the loss of the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday, I'll get to that. I'll get to that in a minute, but when you speak about them, when I was defining and when I was going over and I was giving my opinion about the Cowboys and one of the reasons why I thought that they were the best defense uh, coming up to the first third of the season was because of the responsibility that the Cowboys defense has in terms of keeping their team in the game, especially during this four-game stretch, this five-game stretch where uh, Cooper Rush was the quarterback for the Cowboys, not Dak Prescott. So because of that, they were very limited on what they can do on offense and very limited in how many points they could put up on the board. And when you speak about that responsibility given to the defense to where not only do they need to shut the other team down, but they might have to score a touchdown or two or get a fumble or create some type of turnover to give the Cowboys offense uh, an easy field to either score a touchdown or kick a field goal. That's why I said if you added in all that responsibility that the Dallas Cowboys through the first five or six games of the season was the team that would be considered to have the better defense. Dallas doesn't have a Josh Allen on their team. Even even when Dak Prescott comes back, they don't have themselves that type of a quarterback that the Bills do. They don't have the Cowboys uh, football team. They don't have that type of offensive, uh, uh, that uh, type of offensive ammunition that the Cowboys that the Cowboys or that the Bills have. So yeah, so while I I think that the Cowboys defense is elite and best in this class or best in the league, the the Bills aren't farther behind. And when you throw in the offense, that's one of the reasons why heading into the season and even through the first uh, third of the season, I think that the Bills right now are the uh, favorites to win a championship, represent the AFC in a championship. Of course, Von Miller 
being the difference maker on defense coming over from the Los Angeles Rams. And maybe he saw what was happening on the horizon in terms of what type of uh, team the Rams would have. And uh, for him to uh, get another opportunity, tasting that sweet success of victory of that Super Bowl championship, which he achieved with the Denver Broncos, which he achieved in the last uh, season with the Los Angeles Rams. Wanted a little bit more of that. So, hey, he did a Deion Sanders when he went from the San Francisco 49ers to the uh, Dallas Cowboys. Go from one championship team to another. That's exactly what uh, Vaughn Miller did in this situation going from the world champion Los Angeles Rams now to the favorites to win the Super Bowl the Buffalo Bills not going along just to uh, hang out and be on the bandwagon to uh, capture another Super Bowl but being one of the main reasons why which is the reason why the Bills spent more than 51 million dollars in guaranteed money and free agency to acquire him so look the Bills have already always been solid on defense the one thing that they didn't have the previous seasons. One of the reasons why they revamped their defensive line heading into this season, not just with uh, the acquisition of Vaughn Miller, but again, just revamping their entire defensive line was because they were one of the, one of the lowest in the league in terms of putting pressure on the quarterback. So entering the season or entering the game um, against the uh, Kansas City football team, Buffalo had ranked 22nd in fourth quarter sacks and had done all these type of things and have been good on defense. But in terms of sacking the quarterback, they really haven't been there for a long period of time, giving them a premier borderline Hall of Fame pass rusher like Vaughn Miller puts them over the top uh, coming into the game against Kansas City. And, and it showed. It showed, and you saw the impact that Miller had who came into that game second in the league and, and, and tied for second in the league in the NFL for sacks uh, with, with six. Uh, he had uh, two sacks for the second time this season against Kansas City, four tackles, two quarterback hits, two tackles, and pressured uh, um, Patrick Mahomes six times. Also, if you remember, when Mahomes threw that interception at the end of the football game, it was Vaughn Miller the one who was putting pressure on Mahomes to uh, throw that ball into double coverage where the where the secondary man for Buffalo made a uh, fabulous interception to uh, ice the game for the Bills. So the defense for Buffalo made Kansas City one-dimensional by basically stopping the run. If you remember the two-headed running back duo for Kansas City featuring Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Isaiah Pacheco, they combined for 11 carries for 42 yards. So and it was a situation where I believe it was Kansas City running the ball 17 or 18 times and throwing it over 40 times. Not a recipe to win football games, even though at the end of the game, the Kansas City team was right there. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Josh Allen, quarterback for the Bills, moved to the front of the line for the MVP this season. Wouldn't you agree? After outplaying the best or most important player in the league so far in Patrick Mahomes against Kansas City on Sunday. Allen throwing for 329 yards, three touchdowns, including the go-ahead uh, touchdown pass to Dawson, uh, Dawson Knox with a minute four left. The Again, the offense for Buffalo is... Um, is uh, very sound when you're speaking about just the offensive weapons that they have, the improvement of the offensive line, now the advent of the running game for the Bills. And when you're speaking about two of the best 
wide receivers in the game when you're speaking about number one and number two receivers and Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis. I mean, this is a situation here against Kansas City. Stephon had 10 catches for 148 yards in the touchdown and give, and, uh, and Davis had a touchdown catch on three catches for 74 yards. So I think Diggs is now making that ascension. He was all, already an elite wide receiver, but some of the things that he's doing this season, the chemistry that he has with Josh Allen is second to none. And when you take a look at the league leaders and you see uh, Stephon Diggs third in reception, second in targets, second in yards, second in TD passes, we are talking about a legit, a legit, legit MVP candidate up there, at least in the top five or six of players so far. And Davis, again, to call a touchdown pass against Kansas City being an absolutely excellent um, compliment to what Diggs is doing. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Takeaways for Kansas City in this game. Everybody, now they fall the four and two, and might pe- some people might take a look at, well, you know, how good is Kansas City, this, that, and the other? You saw that game on Monday night against the Las Vegas Raiders and maybe some other things. Hey, look, man, y- you hate losing. Of course, if you're Kansas City, you hate losing. But this game is not going to have any lingering effects on Kansas City in the short term or the long term. They won almost... Uh, beating Buffalo despite playing shorthanded on defense. When you speak about playing without two of their top three cornerbacks and one of their three top three safeties because of injuries, Kansas City played with two rookies at quarterback. And look, man, Patrick Mahomes, baby, is still Patrick Mahomes. Yes, I just mentioned that Josh Allen overtook Mahomes because of how he played and the way Buffalo won and the performance that Allen had. So, yes, as of six games, he is Josh Allen, the... I would say the the number one player to uh, win that MVP. But luckily, there's 11 games left in the season for us to kind of divvy up and tally up and talk about and give a performance to where other folks, including Patrick Mahomes, can uh, make their stake and can make their claim. When when you're speaking about a guy who's still learning, who's still trying to get the chemistry of two or three new wide receivers, the fact that the Kansas City football team lost Tyreek Hill, so he's trying to kind of, again, learn a new system, learn a new rule, learn a new philosophy in terms of biting on some of his uh, tendencies to uh, want to, uh, you know, be a little bit more dynamic, a little bit more explosive, still getting getting used to that and, and still doing what he's doing, some of the throws that he made. His pocket presence, when you're speaking about Mahomes, his pocket presence is it's unbelievable, man. Yes, he's got the arm angles and he tributes that to playing baseball and this, that, and the other. But just the way that, I mean, there's so many. When we speak about the elusive quarterback, we speak about someone like Lamar Jackson. We speak about someone like Russell Wilson when his, in his prime years in Seattle. We, we speak about those type of players. Someone who can create havoc. Someone who can have an impact on the game by their elusiveness running two-way first down or running outside of the pocket, uh, even certain run plays being called from them. When we speak about, you know, being a elusive quarterback, Josh Allen, another guy who stands about six foot five, 240 pounds, uh, making plays as far as design runs and such. So he could be considered elusive despite his uh, stature, despite his strength, despite um, those type of attributes that he has, his ability to run. Did you, you remember that play, right? Where he uh, did a Barry Sanders, where he leaped, where he hurtled over the secondary on that drive 
the go-ahead touchdown drive, the move that he made and that type of thing. Um, the fact that when it's fourth down and one or third down and one or when they need a quarterback sneak that Allen, for the most part, because of his size, because of his strength, is going to be getting that first down. So when we speak about the elusive quarterback, we, we speak about him in terms of him making plays or him having an impact with his legs. But Patrick Mahomes, he's not that traditional type of runner. Of course, he's not Lamar Jackson, but he, he's not a guy that you fear running the football. But what he does is that his feel in the pocket, the way he moves around in the pocket, the way he gives his receivers more time to get open so he can throw a football and throw it at angles and throw it with touch and throw it with the talent that he has in his arm, it's, it's, it's unreal. There's nobody outside of probably Josh Allen that I would say would come close. When you're facing a third and long, when you're facing a third and eight, when you're facing a third and 12, when you're facing a third and 13, 14, 15, there's no other quarterback who I'm going to say, yeah, more than likely they're going to be able to get that first down without a pass interference penalty or a holding penalty penalty on the defense to be called than Patrick Mahomes because he ad-libs one of his genius as far as being a quarterback is concerned is the way that he can buy time in the pocket or on the periphery of the pocket and still make a pass that can result in the first down when you have such uh, uh, weapons as, uh, as, as Travis Kelsey and such. So... Mahomes is just a—it's just an unbelievable football player. Like you know, tell tell us something that we don't know, but it's just you know every game—it's it's just a privilege. Every game is absolutely a privilege. You you need that in sports, man. You definitely need that in sports. We better savor. We better bow down. We better pay homage. We better uh, grasp um to uh, such such M- NBA luminaries as a LeBron James who's entering his twenty seasons season or his or Stephen Curry or something like that because they are the ones who bring in the attention they are the ones that we're going to be remembering they are the ones that when my generation and when your generation and when the generation now between the ages of uh, you know 32 and 49 when we get to be old when we get to be gray hairs when we get to be in the assisted living facility when we get to have a couple of marbles rolling up in our head and we don't remember who our names are for half of the time when we don't know our loved ones and we don't know our siblings and boy senior citizenship sure sounds dreary and and, uh, depressing doesn't it but when we reach that elder age man when we're sitting around and we're listening to these clowns on ESPN and we're listening to these clowns on Fox Sports Radio and we're listening to these clowns talk about how their generation's player of the day in the year 2046 or the the year 2052 was out there doing their things and they're the greatest and they can do all that and we've got you know TikTok and the next generation or or the next evolution of the young folks or the 20 something year olds when this generation generations in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and they're speaking about this guy was so great and this guy was so wonderful and people start talking about LeBron who and people start talking about Patrick Mahomes what and people start talking about Josh Allen who and all those type of things we are going to be the ones my generation your generation the younger generation we're going to be the ones that are going to be sitting there your your our children they are going to be the ones who are going to be defending what we're seeing right now So when these young whippersnappers who aren't even born yet or maybe that they're babies or something like that and when they get to be the age where they can latch on and they can have idols and they can have heroes and they can talk about great players and different sports and they talk about how great this guy is and no one is greater than this guy and this guy's awesome and this, that, and the other, we can sit there and say, hold on, young buck. We can sit there and say, hold on, young fella. 
Before you start talking about how great this guy is, let me tell you a little bit about Patrick Mahomes. Before y'all go ahead and start talking about how this quarterback's the greatest of all time and no one can touch him and he's the GOAT and all this kind of stuff, let me tell you a little bit about Peyton Manning. Let me tell you a little bit about Tom Brady. Let me tell you a little bit about Josh Allen. Let me tell you a little bit about Drew Brees. Educate them folks. Educate them peoples, man, because we are not too far off. Believe me, the young folks, believe me. The young folks, believe me. <laughs> believe me. When you're speaking about certain portions, when you're speaking about certain sections of the community in this country, believe me, you would be astonished, people, our generation, my generation. You would be astonished. You would be appalled when they speak about, when I speak about, when I educate them young folks on the greatness of a Peyton Manning, the greatness of of a Tom Brady when he first came into the league the first couple of years, 2007, when he hit his prime athletically and physically. When you speak about these great players, believe me, you will be shocked. You will be confused about how it's just, eh, okay, eh, yeah, whatever. LaMelo Ball is just the greatest thing since sliced bread. Oh my gosh, goodness gracious, man. Have y'all ever heard of Isaiah Thomas, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Clyde Drexler, and Dwayne Wade? <laughs> My point being is that take heed and take advantage, marinate, just luxuriate in what you're seeing right now, man. Because, hey, I don't know when the next Patrick Mahomes is going to come around the bend. I don't know when the next Josh Allen is going to come around the bend. We don't know how much greater. We know that they're going to get greater. We know that they're going to improve. At least I hope we do. But man, what what is the ceiling? How much farther in terms of their prowess, in terms of their skill, in terms of their effectiveness, in terms of their dominating the game, can Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen get to? What level can they get to? Now, now, now yes, it's going to take a whole lot of help. It's going to take a whole lot of luck. It's going to take a whole lot of, uh, you know, good fortune. I mean, we say this all the time. I say this all the time. If Josh Allen, Josh Allen wouldn't be Josh Allen. As great as Patrick Mahomes is, Patrick Mahomes would not be Patrick Mahomes. The type of impact, the accolades, the championships, the the performances, the the where he's placed in the um on the levels of, of great players in the game today. Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen would not be at the level that they are right now if they were drafted by the Detroit Lions. If they were drafted by the Cleveland Browns, if they were drafted by my Washington Commanders, would they be good? Yeah, they'd be good. Would they be at the level as far as their playing skills that they are right now? If they didn't go to, if, if Patrick Mahomes, who was just a raw genius of a talent, a once in a lifetime generational talent as far as the physical gifts are concerned, could you imagine if he didn't go to an organization? like Kansas City, and didn't learn under the tutelage of Andy Reid to continue tutelage and education of Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, had the ability to learn under such guys as uh, Alex Smith, under such a stable environment. Could you imagine if Josh Allen, who with the Buffalo Bills, they're far from being um, perfect as far as an organization is concerned. They had their rough times. The owners was going. The owners were, were making some... Um, Interesting calls and interesting moves 
before they settled on McDermott at the head coach and then started building that way. But, you know, Josh Allen, it was very fortuitous that a guy who grew up in small-town America then went to a junior college before going to Wyoming would land in a place like Buffalo, New York, not in a city like Chicago, not in a city like uh, uh, Los Angeles, or not in a city like New York City. So he didn't. He doesn't have to go through the trials and tribulations and the dysfunction of, of a Justin Fields. What he had to go through in Chicago. He he had the fortuitous uh, good good fortune of not being drafted by an organization that had a clown and a bozo and a college coach as an experimental deal as being a NFL head coach like Jacksonville did. He didn't have the misfortune. Uh, many other quarterbacks and many other players that had the unfortunate uh, mishap of being drafted by the most dysfunctional and, and embarrassing franchise in sports and definitely the NFL, my Washington commanders, with a jackass piece of shit as an owner. He didn't have to go through all that. Patrick Mahomes didn't have to go through all that. You know, he didn't have to go to an organization that has been steeped in nothing but losing, like the Detroit Lions being owned by the Ford family. So these guys... Again, it's a situation where we should be considering ourselves very, 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 very lucky that Mahomes and Allen are where they are. It's almost a situation where, man, could you imagine how great it was for the NBA to be where they are now? Go all the way back. Rewind this story all the way back. And just think, if the Cleveland Cavaliers at the time, who was that was owned by Ted Sipian, one of the worst owners in sports history... If he didn't make the blundering buffoonery moves to trade and trade and trade so the Lakers then couldn't get the number one draft pick. Just think of Magic Johnson went to the Ted Simpion-owned Cleveland Cavaliers. Just think of Larry Bird didn't go to the Boston Celtics. How advantageous it was for the NBA to have Magic Johnson being with the LA Lakers and Larry Bird being with the Boston Celtics, old-time rivalries, and then you had that story, you had that play out, and which started the ascension of the NBA from where it was in the 1970s where you had um, drugs and you had cocaine and you had gambling and you had everything that was bad about the NBA in the league where the NBA finals were being tape delayed in a league where many of the teams were thought to be going under because of the lack of interest. How fortunate it was for the NBA not only to land Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, but land in the places where they did to set up the storyline for what they were for the next decade or so. The same thing now with Patrick Holmes, Patrick Mahomes, and uh, and uh, Josh Allen. Very fortunate. Very fortunate because, man, I would hate for it to be in 2022 to see Patrick Mahomes with the Washington Commanders and Josh Allen with the Chicago Bears. It would be a completely different story in terms of how wonderful it is to see those guys play, how awesome it is to see those guys progress, to see how amazing it is for us to be treated week after week after week to some of the things that they can do. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. It was interesting watching that game, though, because, uh, you know, Mahomes went 25 of 43, 38, two touchdowns. First time this season, game six, from what I can remember, Mahomes threw his first really bad pass, or really bad pass that, that uh, resulted in an interception. If you remember the opening drive, 
that Kansas City had after uh, Allen and the Bills turned the ball over on offense inside their red zone. Kansas City moved the ball down the field, and on third down, Mahomes tried to squeeze it into double coverage on the right side of the end zone, back of the end zone, and it was easily intercepted. That was that was the first interception that I saw that kind of reminded me of what he was trying to do the first uh, part of last season when he was trying to go for these unbelievable highlight reel type of uh, throws. But, uh, you know, overall, it was just an awesome game. And, you know, overall, it was a game where if you didn't have a dog in the hunt, if you didn't have any type of bet placed down, if you were just a football fan watching that game and you got to see those two teams, the two elite teams in the NFL do their things. Because, look, Romo's speaking about during the telecast about, you know, this game, win or lose, is going to have uh, long-term ramifications for the season. In fact, he was saying on the telecast, uh, speaking of Romo, that uh, this game would determine home field advantage for the playoffs. So we're going to have to dif- disagree. We're going to have to disagree with Tony on that one. I, I think you're, you're going to be implying then that 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 somehow, some way, Buffalo is going to keep his top spot, or Kansas City is going to keep his top spot. Buffalo is not going to be finishing the season sixteen to one. Kansas City is not going to finish the season 15-2. and Both of these teams have one or two really bad games left in them this season. Yes, we're speaking about, you know, we, we can go back to the NFL. The parity is so close and such that, uh, you know, there's going to be a team that's going to play well above their heads going up against Buffalo, going up against Kansas City, and they're going to beat them. With the exception, the very few exceptions you never get a team that's going to be playing up to their capabilities week after week, especially when you're speaking about a 17-game schedule, especially when you're speaking about injuries, especially when you're speaking about players missing injuries because of injuries or players missing games because of injuries. There's going to be a coming up. There's going to come to a time for both Kansas City and Buffalo that there's going to be a dip in the road, that they're going to be uh, maybe losing two out of three games, or they're not, not going to be looking or as good. They're not going to be impressive in terms of, of winning these games. And, and you might see a squad like the New York Jets. You might see a squad like the Los Angeles Chargers. You might see a squad like, uh, well, I can't say Indianapolis Colts. Woo! But there might there might be other contenders who right now maybe not be might not be on that level, but they might go through a four or five game stretch where they go four and one in a situation like this. I mean, you got to remember now, if Los Angeles, as I'm recording this on a Monday night, as I'm watching another boring, slopping, slobbery Denver Broncos football game, as it's now going into halftime. And, uh, you know, we're looking at the Broncos and we're looking at the um, Los Angeles Chargers. The Chargers win this game. They're four and two. So they're essentially tied for first place in the AFC West with Kansas City. So if if uh, Kansas City stumbles a little bit and Los Angeles wins a couple of games, you never know. You never know. So I, I think it's premature to say that this game is going to be this important or this game is going to be this big. So again, it was a situation where, man, just enjoy it. Just enjoy it, my man. Just enjoy it. Have fun. So... Again, I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about this while I was watching the game. You know, the best and worst thing about this impending rivalry, right? Because they were like Manning, Brady, and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, Mahomes and Allen, Kansas City and Buffalo. They're the new New England versus Indianapolis. They're the new Tom Brady versus the Indianapolis Colts. They're the new Peyton Manning versus Bill Belichick, which was always. I just need to back up and just say this real quick. 
real quickly. So disrespectful. So ignorant. When you speak about Tom Brady versus the Indianapolis Colts and Peyton Manning versus Bill Belichick. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Wasn't Tony Dungy the coach of the Indianapolis Colts? So it wouldn't have been, if you're going to go out there and say, if you're going to go out there and say um, Peyton Manning versus Bill Belichick, why can't you say Tom Brady versus um, Tony Dungy? Last time I checked, Tony Dungy was a Super Bowl champion. Last time I checked, Tony Dungy had one of the best defensive minds of his coaching generation. Last time I checked, Tony Dungy was in the Hall of Fame. So all of this nonsense, all of this stupidity, all of this forgetfulness, all of this short-sightedness, all of this ignorance where they say Tom Brady versus the Indianapolis Colts, Peyton Manning versus the versus Bill Belichick, always felt it to be insulting. Be that as it may. People were coming up, oh man, you know, Kansas City, um, Mahomes versus Allen, Kansas City versus Buffalo. The best thing about this budding rivalry, and it's not there yet. I, I love it. It's right now, it's growing. Right now, it's on the path. Right now, it's starting its journey, but it's not there just yet. It's not there just yet. But when you think about it, some of the best things about this, the fact, the possibility that these two teams, Kansas City and Buffalo, with these two quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, could be playing in the playoffs or conference championships for the next five to seven years straight minimum. And a semi-consistent uh, game during the regular season. We could be getting this every single flipping year, man. We could be getting Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and the Kansas City football team and the Buffalo Bills every single year, sometimes twice a year, once in the regular season and once when the chips are really going to be important and need to be cashing during the playoffs, whether it be in the first round, wild card, second round, or championship game. Woo! That's beautiful, man. That's awesome. That's wonderful. You can't get enough. You can't get enough of Patrick Mahomes versus Josh Allen. You can't get enough of what the uh, rivalry between Kansas City and Buffalo is going to be. So that's great. That's awesome. The fact that we get the opportunity to maybe see these guys play every single year and be it in the playoffs. The worst thing is when you speak about long-term, because they play in the same conference, because Josh plays for the Bills, because Patrick plays for Kansas City, the highest that they can go in terms of their competitive level is going to be conference championships. As long as they're in the, the, the organizations that they are right now, they won't play each other in the Super Bowl, the epic Super Bowl. Could you imagine if they continue to ascend, if both their teams continue to ascend? Can you imagine when you're speaking about a Super Bowl that could feature Josh Allen, versus Patrick Mahomes in three or four or five years? Could you imagine how big? Could you imagine, could you imagine how tremendous that Super Bowl could be? I mean, what made the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Dallas Cowboys rivalry one of the best in, the, in, in, in NFL history during the 1970s? Playing in the Super Bowl. Jackie Smith, oh, he must be the sickest man in the world. Pittsburgh winning over Dallas 35-31. to The expression of frustration and anger on Roger Stahlback's face and Tom Landry when he dropped that pass. I still remember that as a kid around six or seven years old, man. You're speaking about the incredible Lynn Swan catch that they had in one of the Super Bowls in which Pittsburgh won over the Cowboys 21-17. to We remember those things, man. That's what helps build the NFL. That's what gives us these great memories for those of that generation.
twice playing against each other when you're speaking about the 1970s Dallas Cowboys and Pittsburgh Steelers. The star power for each of the, each um, team they had. When you speak about Dallas then being America's team, one of the reasons why they became America's team because of their rivalry with the Steelers. They had Captain America, my hero Roger Stallback at wide receiver. I mean, at quarterback. Yes, I'm old when I say one of my earliest of heroes, Roger Stallback. Check my fifth grade uh elementary school picture what am I, what did I take my picture in a Roger Stallback jersey baby number 12 and yes Dallas Cowboy yes I grew up in Washington the DMV but yes when it came to Dallas it was Roger Stallback all the way baby Tom Landry at the head coach Tony Hill Drew Pearson a wide receiver the doomsday defense led by Ed Too Tall Jones Randy the Animal White Thomas Hollywood Henderson, that personality. Then, of course, the team of the decade, the Pittsburgh Steelers, Terry Bradshaw at quarterback, Rocky Blyer, Franco Harris in the backfield. The steel curtain on defense, when you're speaking about Mean, Joe, Green, Elsie Greenwood with the uh, orange uh, cleats, Jack Lambert, Jack Ham, Mel Blunt, Chuck Knoll at the head coach. Man, this shaped me to be the football fanatic that I am, even though I love the NBA more because I played basketball growing up. But that's what made me such a big fan of the NFL. That's what made you a big fan of the NFL. That's what made all our friends big fans of the NFL. That's what we remember still about the NFL from those days of us growing up during that time were those plays and those memories and those highlights and those players and those those iconic figures. Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen have that chance. The Buffalo Bills in the Kansas City football team, they have that chance. And it's going to be exciting to see. It's going to be interesting. What storylines? How much does Mahomes and Kansas City and Allen and Buffalo have left to write their own history that could compare with the greatest rivalries in the league? When you're speaking about the Chicago Bears and Green Bay Packers, the then Oakland Raiders and the Kansas City football team, the then Washington Redskins and Dallas Cowboys, the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns. Man, where is Kansas City and Buffalo going to fit? Where is Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen going to fit with the Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady's of the world? Where's that going to fit? Where is that going to be? That's going to be awesome, man. It's going to be awesome. Absolutely awesome. And the journey is just beginning. Come on, man. Join with us. Join with me. Join with your boyfriend. Join with your girlfriend. Join with your husband. Join with your wife. Join with your kids. The greatest show on earth, the NFL. And leading that charge, leading that way, is something that we saw yesterday. And we're going to see it possibly, maybe, hopefully, praying in the playoffs the Kansas City football team, the Buffalo Bills, stars of the show, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. What is happening? K-Pazza, Shalom, Wassalamu alaikum, Konnichiwa, Namaste, good morning, good abend. Wendell Wallace here of Wendell's World of Sports. Just letting you know on my next upcoming episode on my YouTube channel, I will be discussing the love I have for the NBA, the upcoming season, everything surrounding it. So please, if you would, just tune in to my next episode on YouTube. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. Do all those good things. And don't forget to enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to or watch, Wendell's World in Sports.
Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I'm sorry, I just wanted to get my information out about what's going to be happening on my YouTube episode, the next YouTube episode, which is going to be dropping either Wednesday night or Thursday morning. If you're listening to this in Perth, Australia, or you're listening to this in New Zealand, if you're listening to this in Fiji land, if you're listening to this on the island of Samoa, first of all, hey man, you know, depending upon what happens in this country, speaking about those in Melbourne, speaking about those in Sydney, Australia, speaking about those in Perth, uh, how's the, uh, um, number one, how are the single ladies between the ages of 42 and 49, and um, how's the real estate? Because, you know, and how, how easy can I get NBA and NFL games? Because I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if I have to watch the NFL on a, a mo- Monday morning at 6 a.m. in the morning or 9 a.m. in the morning, uh, that's what I have to do. But, uh, you know, depending upon how stupid this country gets in this upcoming election and in the 2024 election, and if my mom is still living, you know, depending upon those factors, depending upon how much money I make, uh, y'all might be uh, getting yourselves a new resident, shall we say? Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Speaking about what's happening in the um, NFL, I just spoke a little bit about... um, the rivalry, the budding rivalry, not just year, not not just yet, but the budding rivalry between Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills, and the um, Kansas City football team. But there's another team that we're also forgetting here when we're speaking about you know um, the, the the game or teams when we're speaking about the games of the week this past Sunday on uh, in the NFL. We spoke about Kansas City and Buffalo, but we also have to speak about the only team that's undefeated, and that would be the Philadelphia Eagles over them Dallas Cowboys, 26-17. Jalen Hurts throwing for 155 yards and two touchdowns. C.J. Gardner-Johnson had two of the Philadelphia's three interceptions of uh, Cooper Rush. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, midnight, someone went back to being a pumpkin. Did Cinderella, what did Cinderella turn back to be? Did she turn back to being a... uh, a uh, cleaning lady whore or something like that. I forgot. I forgot the story, but I don't think I don't think Disney had her as a whore. But you know what I mean. So look, Philadelphia similar similar game that they played the last three inconsistent but effective overall. Started off strong, leading twenty to three at halftime. The Eagles scored twenty points in the second quarter. They've now outscored their opponents one twelve to twenty seven in that quarter of the season. But Dallas, to their credit, didn't give up. Cut the lead to 2017 in the fourth. Philadelphia put the game away, though, with a very efficient drive. Took up most of the fourth quarter. Put the game away. Um, Diggs threw his helmet in disgust and and just horrible stuff. Um, the Eagles converted thir- three third-down convergence. Hertz hit Devonta Smith for the seven-yard touchdown. And basically, that was it. So here we are. Midway through, or one-third through of the season, here in the NFC, Philadelphia is undefeated at 6-0. and I, I think that we can say now that as far as the NFC goes, that they are the best team as of right now. When you speak about just the total completeness of that team, Philadelphia, I don't think anybody had the balance and effectiveness, all three phases of a team like the Philadelphia Eagles have right now in the NFC. When you're speaking about that defense, fourth in the league in yards allowed, fifth in the league in yards per play, 
fifth in the league in points allowed, first in passing yards per play, and first in takeaways. When you take a look at the offense, it's balanced, it's effective. They have the best offensive weapons at the wide receiver position, I think, at the conference for the third. They're third in the league in total offense, fifth in rushing yards per game, fourth in points allowed per game. They're averaging about 238 yards passing, 150 yards rushing, 156 yards rushing. The Eagles have scored 35 points in the second half this season compared to 126 in the first half. That would be the only blemish that I can see. And and I've, I've said it before. I said it before. One of the things that give me a little bit of pause when you're speaking about the totality of what the Philadelphia Eagles can do. Can they get out of the conference championship the way that Jalen Hurts is playing right now, especially compared to the other quarterbacks that are playing in the NFC? When you see the struggles of a Tom Brady, when you see the struggles of an Aaron Rodgers, I'll get into them a little bit later. When you see the struggles and the lack of weapons that a Matthew Stafford has, when you see the... You know, when you see the pattern of coming up small from Minnesota's Kirk Cousins, when you see what's happening with those quarterbacks, it makes it a little bit easier to say in a conference that doesn't have a Patrick Mahomes, a conference that doesn't have a Joe Burrow, a conference that doesn't have a fading and stumbling and inconsistent Lamar Jackson saying only only saying that because I think Lamar is going to be able to turn this around. And in a conference where most of the really good quarterbacks, the elite quarterback, the best quarterbacks in the game are situated in the AFC, you can have a Philadelphia Eagles team that might not have that franchise top five quarterback and still make it to the Super Bowl. And with their uh, complement of players and with the balance that they have and the effectiveness that they've shown from a defensive standpoint and stuff, you could have a team like Philadelphia be championship contenders that you have, as I mentioned before, a really good wide receiving core with uh, Devonta Smith and A.J. Brown, you have a pretty strong offensive line. You have a secondary that had to be ranked with one of the best in the NFL. And you have a, a quarterback, a mature quarterback, a responsible quarterback, and a quarterback in Jalen Hurts who has his limitations, but I think for the most part has shown that he knows his limitations and he's not going to try to exceed those limitations. He's not going to try to be something that people want him to be. He's not going to try to be Aaron Rodgers. He's not going to try to be Tom Brady. He's not going to try to be Joe Burrow. He's not going to try to be Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. He's not going to try to be one of those guys. He's going to do what he needs to do to win a football game. If it means him throwing for only 155 yards on 25 pass attempts, if it means for him running for more yards than passing, if it means him carrying the ball 12 to 15 to 18 times a game, that's what Jalen Hurts is going to do. And I think in the structure that the Eagles have put him in, it's allowed him to maximize the ability and the effectiveness that he can have. So when you take a look, as I mentioned before, Philadelphia being the best team record-wise in the NFC, best team, uh, best record in the NFL, I mean, we can make a strong argument. I would still say that Kansas City and Buffalo are better football teams because of the quarterback that they have and the offensive weapons that they have. Wouldn't know if Philadelphia, as great, as powerful as their defense is, I don't know if they could keep up on the offensive end if Mahomes and Allen got going. Same thing with the Dallas Cowboys. Their lack of offensive talent, especially when you're speaking about the wide receiver positions, even when Dak Prescott comes back. But you, know, you, you take a look at some of the other teams in the NFC right now. I mean, one of the teams that have been 
a surprise. One of the teams that have been surprising. We keep speaking about the New York Giants, and yes, shocking is the word to describe where they are right now, second in the NFC East with a 5-1 record. But another team that's been kind of slipping and sneaking under the radar in terms of, hey, wait a minute, this team has that type of record? That team is that good? That team is leading this division? The Minnesota Vikings. They've won four games in a row. Their only loss was to the Eagles, who beat them pretty soundly, convincingly, in week two of the uh, of the season. And maybe that's one of the reasons why we haven't been paying that much attention to them. But but right now, the Minnesota Vikings are 5-1. You take a look again. The New York Giants are 5-1, second place in the NFC East. They're finding new ways to win. They, they, they just beaten maybe two of the most disappointing teams in the league as far as right now when you're speaking about the Green Bay Packers and the Baltimore Ravens. And I think that's where most of the, hey, ho, whoa, hey, let's take attention. Let's start paying attention to the New York Giants are right now. So, you know, maybe when everything is all said and done, if the Packers and the Ravens continue on this path, and you don't want the you don't want the Ravens to be going on that path nevermore, then it could be a situation where maybe at the end of the season those two victories weren't as dynamic and weren't as important and were not as impactful as could be. But still, five and one is five and one. They are having teams snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, or they're taking victory from the jaws of defeat. Any way that you want to put it, a win in the NFL is a win in the NFL. This ain't college, folks. This ain't college, my brother and sister, where it's a situation where it's, well, you know, we had them ranked number three, but uh, they kind of struggled and didn't look really good, and the team that's ranked number four and five were outstanding, so let's move them down and move them out of playoff possibilities. No, none of that stuff happens in the NFL. So, hey, man, you just keep winning and don't apologize. And the Giants shouldn't apologize. They have, just like the Jets, they're building themselves a defense that can um, that can minimize some of the lack of talent that the offense has on their side. It's almost kind of akin to what the Cowboys were doing in terms of relying on their defense to win football games. I mean, you speak about the Jets, you speak about the Giants, now speaking mainly about the Giants because I'm speaking about teams in the NFC that can do some things. I mean, there's there's the uh, Giants right there. Leonard Williams, Kayvon Thibodeau had a big play at the end of the game, uh, rushed um, Lamar Jackson to some horrendous decision making. So they're five and one. Now you you could say you know when is the you know when when are they going to meet the is it the mean or the medium? There's mean, medium, or mode. Come on, man. Someone someone help me out. You know, Chase Ellison helped me out. Come on, man. So, so, someone, someone, <laughs> so, someone go into the comment section and leave me a, uh, leave me a situation where it's kind of like, hey, man, someone up there who's, who's listening to my podcast. I don't know who it is, man. You know, someone, Cameron, help me out. You know, go ahead and get, uh, go ahead and get Kaylee. Someone help me out about <laughs> mean, medium, or mode. What are we speaking about here? Basically, where it comes back to the average. You know, right now the Giants are winning games where it's kind of like, well, this can't be. The situation. This can't be the right situation. Ethan, help me out. Is it mode? Is it medium? Come on, y'all should know something about this. But uh, yeah, how, when when will that happen, or is that going to happen? We're going to find out. The Cowboys four and two, having their four game winning streak uh, snapped. I guess it was reality check for those who were up there talking about Cooper Rush, Cooper Rush, Cooper Rush. Look, I don't think anybody with a brain in their head or even one anyone worth, uh, worth listening to. Was going to sit there and be speaking about, yeah, hey, you know, with Cooper Rush uh, playing so well and the Dallas Cowboys playing so well and winning, I mean, do we really need to bring back uh, Dak Prescott? Yes. <laughs> Shut up. Yes. So it's a situation where, you know, against um, 
Philadelphia on Sunday night. Yeah, Cinderella turned back into the uh, into the uh, bucket, the uh, the the floor washing whore that she was. Right, Rush went eighteen for eighty for uh, thirty eight, one hundred eighty one yards, three touchdowns. His first two interceptions of the season turned into ten points for the Eagles, which allowed Philadelphia to take a twenty nothing lead. And you really can expect. Um, then for Dallas to put the game into the hands of Cooper Rush to say, win it for us. You came with Dak Prescott. That's why that man is making $40 million per. You can't do that with Cooper Rush, and you shouldn't expect that from Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush is a backup quarterback. Cooper Rush exceeded all expectations by having the Cowboys go 4-1 and one while he was the starting quarterback. Mike McCarthy right now should be giving bouquets and bowing at his feet and kissing his feet and throwing rose petals as he's walking down the hallways at Cowboy Stadium. He should be driving him home, cooking him dinner, and up there doing the boogaloo in front of his wife and kids just to make them happy because this is a great situation where, hey, man, Cooper Rush might have saved Mike McCarthy's job because if he didn't do his job, speaking about Cooper Rush, as a starting quarterback to keep things afloat, and instead of 4-2, and two, we're looking at 2-4 and four for the Cowboys right now, then, again, it starts all the bullshit about, well, you know, Mike McCarthy, and then all of a sudden, now, you didn't, you didn't hear too much bitching and moaning and griping and complaining and this stuff with uh, Mike McCarthy during these five games, did you? Even in the last uh, night's defeat, you didn't hear the folks come out, the pundits come out, speak about, oh, Mark Mc- Mike McCarthy didn't do this, and he should have called a timeout, and he should have called this play, and, you know, the penalties, and blah, blah, blah. You didn't, you didn't hear any of that stuff, right? Thanks you for Cooper Rush. Thanks for Micah Parsons. Thanks for that defense. Thanks for uh, those guys for, you know, keeping the heat off of um, Mike McCarthy. Because in that first game, the Dallas loss against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Dak Prescott injured his finger and he was going to have surgery and he was going to be out six to eight week, weeks. The vultures were circling around the soon-to-be, they thought, dead carcass of Mike McCarthy. And who let those vultures out? Jerry Jones with one of them flying over to Sean Payton's house saying, get ready. So, yay, man. Cooper Rush went above and beyond anything uh, that was expected of him. So now it's time for, is it now time for Dallas to put in starting quarterback Dak Dak, uh, Prescott? Is it time for him to make his return against uh, Detroit after the game on Sunday in the loss to the Eagles, he told reporters, Prescott told the reporters that he plans to return to the field for next Sunday's matchup against the Lions. As we know, Prescott had been played since week one when he fractured his thumb and the team's loss against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He had surgery but was never placed on the injured left list. And that meant that he was eligible to return to the field as soon as possible or as soon as the doctors cleared him, which the original diagnosis was he would be out for around six to eight weeks. So if you really think about it, this is a situation where, yes, timing-wise, that he should be ready to go against the Detroit Lions. I, I can see either way where we're speaking about this. Number one, I don't know. I mean, if Dak Prescott is healthy, then he should play against the Detroit Lions. I don't think there's any team that he could uh, get his mojo back or start the peeling off of the rust or start um, getting his good vibes back playing against a team like Detroit who allowed the Philadelphia Eagles to score 38 points, who allowed the uh, Seattle Seahawks to score 41 points, who made Geno Smith look like doggone Johnny Unitas. He's the second coming of Johnny Unitas. So, I mean, you know, this wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, uh, I can understand it's kind of like, look, you know, we play the Lions, then we play 
the Chicago Bears. Then we got a bye week before we head into a, a difficult schedule. You would think would be a difficult schedule where they're going to be playing against the, um, after that, they're going to be playing against the, um, the Green Bay Packers and then the game against the um, New York Giants on Thanksgiving. So after the bye, they play at Green Bay and Minnesota, then the home game against New York on Thanksgiving Day. So again, are we taking a look at, we don't know the injury prognosis of Dak Prescott. We don't know, but we can only put a percentage on it. If, I mean, you would think that, wouldn't you think that the Cowboys should be able to beat the Lions with Cooper Rush? And I understand that, man, you know, no one saw the New York Giants coming. So not only did you have to be aware or keep aware of what the Philadelphia Eagles are doing because now you're you're two games back. But if you're Dallas, now you're one game back of the New York Giants, a team that you've already beaten. But but still, I mean, would you call Dallas playing against Detroit next week with Cooper Rush at the quarterback a, a real risk? In this situation, again, we want to have the Cowboys ready to rip, roar, and rumble with Dak Prescott as their quarterback when the playoffs starts, assuming that they're going to make the playoffs or have him rip, roaring, and ready to go when the games really count to get themselves into the playoffs, if that's going to be possible. We don't know what's going to be happening with Minnesota. We don't know what's going to be happening with Tampa Bay. We don't know what's going to be happening with San Francisco. We don't know what's going to be happening with the Rams. We don't know what's going to be happening with the Vikings. We don't know what's going to be happening with the Giants. We don't know. So it's a situation where, yeah, you know, place them in there against the Detroit Lions, but if they lose, now you're speaking about a team that's lost two games in a row. Now they're four and three. The Giants win, that makes them six and one. And the Eagles win, that makes them seven and oh. So now you're, you're taking a look at a situation where you're three games behind the Eagles. You're two games behind the Giants. What do you do? Again, if, if you if if Prescott's um, healthy and he's ready to go, you play him. You play him. And I can understand, again, if he's 60, 65%, I probably would hold him out. But I'm going to go on the assumption that Prescott's about 80, 85% ready to go. And if, that, if he's that, go ahead, get his confidence back. You should get your confidence back by playing a weak defense that's been giving up a multitude of points in the Detroit Lions, play against the Chicago Bears, another team that's now going to really uh, be a uh, risk in terms of getting into a shootout or needing to put uh, points on the board. I saw that game on Thursday between Washington and Chicago. Boy, those two teams stink. They stink. They stink. The Bears organization should be sued for malfeasance in what they're doing to – what they're doing to Justin Fields. Man, you're going to get that guy killed. You're going to get that guy killed. <laughs> you put no weapons around them. Their offensive line is beyond atrocious. They made Washington's offensive line look decent. As many times as Deron Payne and Montez Sweat was, was knocking Justin Fields around. You have wide receivers who can't catch the ball. I think it's always important to have a wide receiver who can, oh, I don't know, catch the ball. And that's supposed to be the number one deal as far as being a wide receiver is concerned? Catching the ball? Chicago has none of them. Man, you're speaking about an organization that's setting up a young prospect to fail in a town that should be starving for quarterback. What was the last time they had a quarterback worth a damn in Chicago playing for the Chicago Bears? Sid Luckman? Vince Evans? 
Jim, Jim McMahon? Rex Grossman? I mean, come on, man. You're going to kill that poor kid. So, but, but still, so it's a situation where Chicago playing Dallas. You put Prescott in there. You put Prescott in there because you're not worried about Chicago scoring a lot of points. And that defense should be able to dominate Justin Fields in the uh, Chicago offense. Then you hit the bye. And then again, you go ahead and you play Green Bay, Minnesota. We don't know where Green Bay is going to be, but as far as a, a threat is concerned. But playing at Lambeau Field, I mean, the Jets proved me wrong. But normally playing at Lambeau Field, Brian Zappi and the New England Patriots proved me wrong also. But that should be a formidable uh, task for... Dallas to go on the road at Lambeau Field and Green Bay to play those guys. Then you play Minnesota, which should be a good metric stick for both teams. And then the home game against uh, the Giants on Thanksgiving Day. So you have two really marking marking stick type games. You know, games where you can really gauge how good your team is as the season moves on to the sec to the uh, uh, you know weeks nine, ten, eleven, and twelve as such. So look, the Cowboys try and rest Prescott. Until the bye week, I say no if he's fully ready to come back. So there you go. So again, speaking about Wendell's world of sports here with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. And I'm speaking about, you know, the teams and I'm speaking about some of the stuff going on with the NFC. And I'm speaking about the Philadelphia Eagles, the best team in the uh, in the NFC. And you're speaking about the Giants. We don't know about. We're speaking about the Vikings. We don't know about. I mean, how much really if the season goes on can you put into the game on Monday Night Football in Week 2 where the Vikings were beat up and embarrassed on the road against Philadelphia 24-7. Um, you know, you, you speak about the Cowboys. There's six other teams that are 3-3 three three in the NFC. You have Tampa Bay, San Francisco, the LA Rams, the defending champions, Green Bay, Atlanta, and Seattle. Boy, as bad as Green Bay's playing, they're only 3-3, three three, huh? You would think... After the catastrophe of the last uh, two games against the Giants and the Jets, that they would, the situation would be looking dire. But they're still only three and three. Of the of those teams that I just mentioned, Tampa Bay, San Francisco, the Rams, Green Bay, Atlanta, Seattle. Look, I think Atlanta, Seattle is going to be playing themselves out. The Rams have some real issues in terms of where they're going to be throwing the ball to. The offensive line hasn't been great, and the defense is not good enough to mask some of the inefficiency that the Rams have on offense. San Francisco, man, I don't know about that team, man. They played without any of their starting defensive players for the most part in that game against Atlanta, and it showed. So what's going to be happening with Nick Bosa at the offense the offense really isn't good enough to overcome those losses because with Garoppolo, you're not going to be expecting him to uh, be a catalyst for an offense that's going to be putting up big numbers to um, to um, take over from a porous defense. So San Francisco, with their injuries, I don't know about that. As I mentioned before, Geno Smith, Seattle, uh, no. Um, the kid from Hawaii who played the Oregon second round, second pick in the draft behind Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota. Yes, of Atlanta being a quarterback. No, I can't see that. So the two teams that I'm going to focus on that I'm most concerned about are the Green Bay Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Especially Tampa Bay, man. What's, what's going on with them? Because someone asked me that question. Because someone answered me that question here on Wendell's World and Sports the Podcast. With yours truly, Wendell Wallace, could someone explain to me what in the what in the wide world of sports is going on with the Buccaneers? They lost on the road to the Pittsburgh Steelers, a Steeler team which started Kenny Pickett, and then finished the game with Mitchell Trubisky. 
A team in Pittsburgh that they lost to 20 to 18. The same Pittsburgh Steelers team. This ain't the 1970s Pittsburgh Steelers. This ain't the 1990s Pittsburgh Steelers. This ain't the Ben Roethlisberger's Pittsburgh Steelers. This is the Kenny Pickett, Mitchell Trubisky depleted defense. Just got blown out by the Buffalo Bills 38 to 3 the week before Pittsburgh Steelers. Putting a 20 to 18 victory on the uh, Buccaneers. Defense is doing all right. Defense did all right. Now, you know. Pickett went 11 for 18, 67 yards in the touchdown. Who gives a flip? But to allow Mitchell Trubisky after Pickett got uh, left the game with a concussion, to allow Mitchell Trubisky, Buccaneers fans, Mitchell Trubisky, Bear fans, you guys remember Mitchell Trubisky, don't you? 9-12 for 144 yards, a fourth quarter touchdown drive, and then two Long third down convergence to uh, put the game out of reach or to seal the game for the uh, Steelers. One of the elite defenses in the NFL allowing Mitchell Trubisky to be the difference maker, not just on third and 11, but third and 16 with the game on the line and the ability to get the ball back into the hands of uh, Tom Brady. You allow Mitchell Trubisky to convert third and 11 and third and 16? Offense has been the problem. Offense has been the problem. Score 18 points on Sunday against the Steelers team without his best defensive player and the best defensive player in the AFC, TJ Watt, and one of the best safeties, Minka Fitzpatrick, who's going to be missing the entire year, I believe, along with three starters in the secondary. Brady threw only one touchdown pass against a depleted Steelers secondary, and Tampa Bay moved the ball at four and a half yards per play. Damn! Tampa Bay didn't score a touchdown until his final drive. Damn! Then failed on a two-point conversion and never saw the ball again. I don't. I'm not calling. I'm not saying that it's over. And, it's, and you know, I mean, the, the Buccaneers are in the AFC South. I mean, excuse me, the NFC South. Where I, I'm sorry, New Orleans and Carolina and um, New Orleans, Carolina and Atlanta aren't, aren't scaring anybody. But I'm just thinking about, hey, man, Tampa Bay came in this season as one of the best teams in the NFL, supposedly. And they're doggone not playing like it. And now we've got six games into the season. Again, I'm not saying that the season's over. I'm not saying that the uh, Bucks can't turn this around. But, man, I'm, I'm seeing some stuff. Again, I mentioned in my last um, podcast, there's something going on with Tom Brady. We know that there's something going on with Tom Brady. But I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know in terms of the question that I asked on my last podcast in terms of if Tom is Tom Brady having regrets is Tom Brady having second thoughts about this whole coming back for year 23 thing playing football when he's 45 thing I mentioned it before man he's in a locker room with guys who weren't even born when he started his NFL career I mean who can he hang with who can he talk to I, I, those guys, at the very least, are are what the, the 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 closest in terms of age difference is what eight, nine, ten years. I mean, he's, he's around guys who are thirteen, fourteen, fifteen years old. I mean, just think about it. Just just think about just think about you around Tom Brady's age, and just think about the workplace that you're in that you have to spend eight hours a day, sometimes even more. I mean, how would you like it if you were the oldest guy in that room? If you were the oldest guy on that floor? If you were the oldest one on that sales force? If you were the only one, oldest one on that sales team? If you were the only one, oldest one working with folks? And you were the oldest one by 
10, 12, 15, 18 years. <laughs> You're supposed to be doing work and not fraternizing and not talking and not bullshitting and all those type of things. But man, what, what, what do you what do you do? How do you feel? I mean, he's in a locker room full of guys who aren't even near his generation. How much does he love the game that you putting up with that stuff? And then everything else that's going through within his personal life? I don't know, man. So, you know, Brady missed Saturday's walkthrough to attend New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft's wedding. By the way, did you see his wife? Yeah, she didn't marry him for the money. No, she loved him because he's a great guy. Just keep him away from the uh, massage parlors in Florida. You'll be all right. Even though, I don't know if you signed a prenup. Hopefully you didn't because if you didn't, she's in the money. So what happens with all of this stuff? Tom Brady already missed training camp because he had to deal with some stuff and um, his personal life has only missed well, 10 or 11 days in training camp, and now he missed a meeting and a walkthrough because he went to a, 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 a former owner's wedding. It's interesting because there's been ample examples of what happens when a legend in this sport is the last to know that he's a legend, that he's no longer a legend, especially to his teammates. Where it's kind of like, you know, I'm Tom Brady and this, that, and the other. And all of a sudden, his teammate's like, man, we don't give a fuck anymore. Fuck you. You know, you're getting all this special shit and you're doing all this type of shit. We don't give a fuck. You know, we're, not de- we're not playing with the Tom Brady of New England. We're not playing with the Tom Brady that I grew up idolizing. We're not playing with the GOAT Tom Brady anymore. So all of this bullshit that you were throwing out there when you were great, yelling and screaming and throwing things and all this kind of stuff. Man, that bullshit ain't working no more, man. You know, the, well, let him do this because Tom Brady is Tom Brady. That, that that stuff don't fly with us no more, man. Why can Tom Brady do that shit and I can't? He's playing just as badly as I am. Why? Because he won seven Super Bowls? What have you done? The old Janet Jackson song? What have you done for me lately? He hasn't done shit. So we, we've seen this before, right? The last seasons of legends for legends of the sports who don't how it doesn't always end well we remember the michael we remember michael jordan's last season with the washington wizards right where richard hamilton and those guys just couldn't wait for jordan to get out of there because they were so sick and tired of him oh these young kids they can't do this and they can't do that and i'm doing all this and i'm doing all that man fuck you Fuck, get the fuck out of here. I mean, Richard Richard Hamilton and those guys, they were just so sick of Michael Jordan. They were so sick of uh, his bullshit. They were so sick of uh, the way that he was pampered and the way that he was treated and all this kind of stuff. They couldn't wait for that season for, to end and for him to get out of there. And Michael Jordan couldn't wait for the season to end for him to get away from those guys. We remember Magic Johnson after he unretired from returning uh, – after retiring with the AIDS or the HIV, and then he came back to return to the Lakers. And he was another one that was complaining about the younger generation. They're always on their phone, and they're always you know, on their on their pagers, and they're doing all this, and they don't take the game seriously. And back in my day, we did this, and I did that, and Nick Van Exel and Eddie Jones and those guys were like, man, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Remember that game against Phoenix where Johnson bumped a referee right after Nick Van Exel bumped a referee and he got that thrown out and then Johnson bumped a referee? It was terrible. It was rough. And then at the end of the season where the Lakers lost to Houston, he was talking about, well, when I come back, I'm going to be doing this and I'm going to be doing that. We better do this and we better do that. And those young players were like, man, get the fuck out of here. This ain't, this ain't 1985, motherfucker. You ain't any of that kind of shit no more. Get lost. Brett Favre in his last season with Minnesota, all of that nonsense about sending dick pics and all that kind of stuff. Emmitt Smith in his last season with the Arizona Cardinals whining and complaining about the younger generation. It happens, man. It happens. And I'm wondering right now if it happens with Tom Brady. You saw that clip of him yelling and screaming at his offensive lineman, right? 
I mean, how many people, how, how many of those guys in the offensive line were looking at him saying, man, shut the fuck up. Get, get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> he said, you know, get along, man. Take care of your wife and your kids. You know, what, what, did you got another wedding to attend? I mean, you know, what? Just, 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 just go away. Just wondering. I'm not saying that's happening. I'm not saying that's happening. But I'm just, I'm just wondering. Offensive's got to pick it up. I understand that, you know, they've been the offensive line is in shambles and the wide receiving core has been inconsistent because of injuries and playing and not playing. But uh, offense, along with Tom Brady, needs to pick it up. And, and not once did I hear Tom Brady in that press conference mention himself in terms of, I need to get better. There's a lot of we, but it would, I think it would have gone a much better, much longer way if he would have said, starting with me, starting with I, I need to get better and we as a team need to get better. Don't know. I'm not in that locker room, but yeah, I'm just wondering. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. Another thing here that I'm going to be talking about, another team that I'm concerned about, the Green Bay Packers, man. What's going on? Sunday against the New York Jets, a game that they lost 27-10. to 10. They were outplayed. They were outcoached. And they were embarrassed. And this is more than you know, this. This is these problems are deeper than well. Devontae Adams was traded, so that's the reason why. Blah blah blah. Hey, look, man. Yeah, there's been some inconsistencies in the secondary. Yeah, I'm quite sure when you trade Devontae Adams, it's going to have an impact. No question about it. No doubt about it. But some of the things the Packers are doing, the destructive things that the Packers are doing, not not allowing them to win games like they should be. It has nothing to do with Devontae Adams being traded and playing for the uh, Raiders. Turning the ball over way too much. This season, Green Bay has turned the ball over eight times in six games. So, let's compare. In 2018, they turned the ball over 15 times for the entire season. 2019, they turned the ball over 13 times for the entire season. 2020, 11 times for the entire season. Last season, 13 times. They were the they were only the second team in league history to record no more than 15 giveaways in four consecutive seasons. They're already up to eight in six games. And this is not a situation where all of them was because Brett Favre, excuse me, because Aaron Rodgers is making bad passes because Devontae Adams isn't there to, to clean things up. These are just fundamental turnovers that's happening with Green Bay, and it's just surprising. Their run defense has been poor. They came into uh, Sunday's game ranked 30th in the run defense, and they allowed Brees Hall and Michael Carter to combine for 157 yards on 26 carries, including a 34-yard touch, touchdown run by, by Hall. This is a team that has never been great as far as the run defense is concerned, but they've even decreased in that situation they've even fallen back in that situation now you're speaking about a team on defense that was supposed to kind of hold the Packers at a certain level while Rodgers and the wide receivers get their mojo and get their chemistry going Aaron Jones was supposed to be helping out in terms of the uh, rush to take some of the pressure off of the passing game he hasn't done any of that on offense the Packers haven't been running the ball well the offensive line has not been contributing like they should on, on defense, once again, Zach Wilson only threw the ball 18 times, 410 yards, completing 10 passes. How the hell did they lose 27 to 10? Special teams with a blunder again? You know, a, a, a situation where they thought cost them a championship opportunity last season. If you remember how they lost that 49er game in the playoffs? Well, uh, in this game, a, a uh, special teams miscue led to a touchdown for the Jets. So, I don't know. 
I, I don't know what's going to be happening with that. There's four teams in the NFC that are two and four, Washington, New Orleans, Arizona, Chicago, really don't care about them. And then there's two teams with one victory, Detroit and Carolina. Ooh, did you hear about the uh, Washington Commanders? Man, it might be coming to an end of the Daniel Snyder era because he's got all this dirt, and if he's going to go down, he's going to take a couple of owners with him. Oh, man, I sure hope, please. If you're fucking with Jerry Jones, that's the wrong motherfucker to be fucking with. <laughs> even someone like Daniel Snyder, who's a dick, even even someone like Daniel Snyder, who's an asshole, even though Daniel Snyder, who as a human being is beyond repugnant, is and, and is, is a smuck and everything, as, as any other negative connotation you want to add to the moral fiber of Daniel Snyder, but don't don't mess with Jerry Jones. You leave Jerry Jones alone. He's like, yeah, I've got dirt on NFL owners and Roger Goodell. I would, I, I, hopefully, if you're going to try to go down and take Jerry Jones with you, I wouldn't get on that ship. And, and, and believe me, one thing in the NFL, what they've seen is that if, you're gonna, if you think that you're going to get there by talking about any type of sexism and racism, that ain't stopping the NFL, baby. If you if you're going to accuse Jerry Jones or any other owners, if Daniel Snyder's got dirt on any type of um, uh, racist situations or misogynistic situations concerning the NFL owners, uh, that's not going to do it. The American public don't give a fuck about black people enough to be giving up on their NFL football. So I don't give a damn. The Dallas Cowboys ain't going to turn on Jerry Jones if he's overheard calling somebody a nigger. That's just going to be like, oh, well, I mean, believe me, we're, we're speaking about Texas here. We're speaking about a state that has Louis Gomer, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, and Ted Cruz representing their state. You really think that they're going to give up their beloved Cowboys because um, Jerry Jones dropped a couple of uh, nigger references and probably called some female a bitch or something like that? I'm saying if... Snyder had that type of dirt on somebody. You really think that's going to turn off the Cowboys fans? You really think that's going to turn off the folks in Dallas or the folks in Texas? I don't think so. <laughs> and black people can tell you, I don't think so. When it comes to football, racism, misogynism, bigotry, that really they really don't care about that stuff. As long as you can play football, beating up women, making racial slurs, doing all those type of things, killing people, really doesn't matter. If you can play, if you can help your team win, if you can help your team, if you can help you win a fantasy league, if that player can help you win on your parlay bets, then you know what? We'll uh, we'll close our eyes and we'll make up excuses and we'll be dumb. Believe me, this country is it, it, it's good at that. As far as ignorance is concerned, this country is a number one in that uh on that marker wendell's world in sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us so yeah man when you're speaking about the nfc that's where we're at that is where we at the philadelphia eagles standing above other teams in the nfc as i mentioned before some are right there some can make a move some we don't know some are worthless some are useless some um, the writing is on the wall when you're speaking about detroit and carolina in terms of where where their season is going so, yeah, I'd like to get into a little bit about what's going on with Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens and such, but I'll save that for another time. Go listen to another uh, sports podcast or whatever if you want to uh, find out those type of things. I just gave you my thoughts and feelings about what's going on because when we come back, after I get my boogie on, after I go ahead and do my thing in terms of moving and grooving to the sound that I'm going to be producing, the best college football weekend of the year. Man, it was fantastic. It was exciting. It's what it what it's what makes college football great, and it had nothing to do with the traditional 
thoughts and feelings about what makes college football great. I'll explain Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. Last segment of the podcast. Oh, last segment of the program. Thank you so much for listening to the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. Again, as I mentioned before, on my YouTube episode, I'm going to be getting into the NBA, going to be speaking about some of the storylines, going to be speaking about some of the teams, going to be speaking about some of the players, going to be speaking about all those things. I'm not going to be prognosticating on who's going to be winning the NBA championship, who's going to be the MVP, who's going to be doing this, who's going to be doing that. Not doing all that stuff because NBA, marathon, not a sprint. So a lot of things can happen between the start of the NBA season and the finish of the NBA season. I'm just going to give you my outlook in terms of the teams, in terms of the interesting storylines and where those teams are going to be going. So you might want to uh, check that out on my YouTube channel, Wendell's World of Sports. Again, if you're going to listen and you like what I'm what I'm speaking about and the video, if you uh, like what you see, single ladies between the ages of 42 and 49 come on now subscribe like give me a comment wendell's world of sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us mentioned before the best college football weekend of the year great entertaining high level college football that's all i want that's all i'm looking for that's all i measure when talking about my enjoyment of the sports all of this other stuff that's thrown in when they speak about um the college football or what makes college football the greatest and all this stuff the 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 atmosphere the crowds the traditions the bands the school rivalry i couldn't give a flying fuck about them could care less i don't care i don't care about the rivalries i don't care about storming the fields i don't care about a hundred thousand people in the in the audience i don't care about teams and the stories as far as the players are concerned i don't care show me some good entertaining football because you can have the greatest crowd, you can have the biggest crowd, you can have the greatest traditions, you can have the greatest stories. As a man of history, I enjoy the stories. I enjoy the rivalries. But when it comes down to watching football, I don't care. Give me two good teams and an exciting games, and that's all I need. That's all I want. All I need, all I want. Part of a song who I can't remember. But that's what Sunday was for me. And people are going to be speaking about, oh my goodness, Alabama losing to Tennessee. And did you see the atmosphere? And did you see this people storm the field when the game was over? 100,000 people at Neyland Stadium and Tennessee football at back. And they tore down the goalposts and threw it in the river. And people were like stogies on the field. And oh, I, don't, I don't give a fuck. I don't care about any of that stuff. As soon as that field goal was made, I switched and turned over to the other game. Couldn't care less about all that other nonsense. Alabama and Tennessee gave me a great game. That's all I care about. 52 to 49. Chase McGrath made a knuckleball 40-yard field goal as time expired. Hendon Hooker, who was uh, pretty doggone good. Like, NFL should be taking a look at him good. 
drove the balls 45 yards in 13 seconds to set up the game-winning field goal, an 18-yard pass to Ramel Keaton, and 27-yard pass to uh, Brew McCoy set up the game-winning field goal, and Hooker finished 21 of 30 for 385 yards and five touchdowns to one receiver to uh, uh, give Tennessee the victory. Bryce Young drove the Crimson Tide into Tennessee territory in the final minute, but then when the uh, Bama drive stalled at the 33-yard line with three straight incomplete passes, ooh, you guys must be just, Alabama fans must be shouting and screaming and pounding and sending all kind of nasty emails in the phone lines and must be lit up in the comment sections, must be lit up with a bunch of hatred and I can't believe it and it's horrible and terrible with Jameer Gibbs missed dropping that pass, crossing pattern pass. Ooh, if he didn't have a touchdown, he was going to go into Tennessee territory to where a chip shot field goal was going to uh, win this game, win that game. And on, what was it, first down, second down? First down, I think he dropped that swing pass out of the backfield, and it was like, ooh, ooh, what could have been? What could have been? What could have been? But uh, Will Reichert missed a 50-yard field goal attempt wide right, and that set up the game-winning deal for the um, for Tennessee. So, look, man. Bryce Young, awesome, unbelievable, great, fantastic. It's awesome for uh, University of Tennessee. Uh, went to school there. Went to school up in Sweetwater, Tennessee, which is about 40 minutes away. So had a lot of good times. My first year out of high school going down from Sweetwater over to uh, the University of Tennessee's campus. Had a lot of fun. Beautiful women. I haven't been back to Knoxville since 1980, whatever, whatever. But uh, 1987, 1988, that's when I went down there. But yeah, beautiful women. Wonderful atmosphere. If it wasn't such a red state, I would probably think about moving down there because Knoxville is beautiful. But, um, yeah, it was good, good for Tennessee football. It was really good for Tennessee football and good for college football in general. The fact that uh, Josh Heupel has been able to resuscitate a program that uh, Johnny Majors and uh, Wolf Fulmer and those guys had brought to prominence at one of the elite college football teams when I was growing up. It's good to see for one moment in time that Tennessee had this opportunity to uh, beat Alabama hold the spotlight, hold the attention, be the star of the show for that uh, weekend, really capture the imagination of the state and such uh, during that time. And it's great. Let's see if uh, Hypo can, can can build on that. Because now if you take a look at the top 10 teams in the uh, college football, Alabama fell to six and Tennessee moved up to number three. So Bryce Young was amazing. Bryce Young was fantastic. The only reason why Bryce Young was even, the only reason why Alabama was even near, was even sniffing an opportunity to win the game was because of Bryce Young. But in watching that game, very interesting in watching that game because, you know, I was watching that Bryce Young's amazing. He's Incredible. I mean, his, his his cerebral skills, his intelligence on the field is beyond reproach. One of the best players in the game, this, that, and the other, all of these type of things. But one thing that was going through my mind, and I was thinking about fans of Carolina, Carolina Panthers, fans of the Detroit Lions, fans of my Washington Commanders, who, by the way, is going to be starting Taylor Heineke and not, uh, and not uh, Carson Wentz. Hip, hip, hooray, right? But some of these teams that need a quarterback, and, you know, Will Levitz of Kentucky, Bryce Young, Alabama, C.J. Stroud of Ohio State, there was one thing that I saw 
about Bryce Young that, that gave me just a little bit of pause in terms of what he could be as a franchise-saving franchise saving quarterback was his slight of build, but his inability to run or to make things happen. He is a pocket quarterback. He is definitely looking to pass first before running. And he doesn't have the elusive physical gifts for for someone his size is going to possibly need if he's going to be in there because man Tennessee just beat him up and beat him up and beat him up and knocked him on the head and threw him to the ground and did all them things man and he showed toughness he showed up and got up but I'm thinking to myself I was watching that game and I'm thinking to myself man what what happens if he was playing quarterback for the Chicago Bears what happens if he was playing quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals man would he last Two or three years? If they were not only asking him to be the starting quarterback, but be the savior in terms of being a franchise quarterback. And again, it didn't take anything away from the performance that he had on Saturday. I was watching a college football game, not a pro football game. But, you know, every once in a while, my mind just kind of left in terms of the third eye and went down and just started thinking about, man, this guy who, you know, is supposed to be one of the top quarterbacks that's going to be taken in the NFL draft. Man, I see a guy who's not that elusive. I see a guy with some really good accuracy. I see some guy with a lot of skills. But man, in terms of elusiveness, elusiveness is concerned. I don't know. So you better build an offensive line. You better build some stuff around him. Because if not, man, I don't think that he has the frame. I don't think that he has the size and the frame to be able to last. If you're just going to let NFL size football players, linemen, linebackers, and stuff such just tee off on this guy. So that's one of the things that I was looking at. But uh, yeah, man. I, Really good game. Really, really good game. Good to see every once in a while Alabama come back to the field in terms of, look, the defense stinks. Their offense, their secondary was beyond was beyond terrible. The offensive line was inconsistent. And there's just some things going on. What, what's up with all the penalties? Roll Tide. What's up with all these penalties? 19 penalties they had against Tennessee? That wasn't an aberration because only a couple of games ago against Texas, they had 15 penalties for 100 yards. So so, what, so what's going up with that? 52 points, 567 yards, and Nick Saban's defense gave up? And Nick Saban's been pulling in historically high recruiting uh, player, you know, recruiting classes for years on top of years on top of years. I mean, that 52 points were the most of a Nick Saban team allowing since Nebraska rolled 55 up, 55 points up against them when he was the coach at Michigan State in 1996. So, yeah, against Tennessee, 17 penalties for 130 yards. 15 penalties for 100 yards earlier in the season against Texas. Interesting, man. Interesting. Now, Alabama still has control of their destination to make the college football playoffs. I still think that they're the best team in the uh, SEC West. So I still think that they'll be able to uh, make the um, make the uh, championship game, the conference championship game. If they beat uh, either Tennessee or Georgia, then that'll put them in the uh, college football playoffs. But, you know, I mean, do they play Mississippi? Because Lane Kiffin has a pretty decent air attack, even though I think that, you know, the running game is uh, underlooked. But, man, it was something else. Other top-ranked teams losing. USC, number seven, lost to number 20, Utah, 43-42. to Penn State losing to Michigan, 41-17. to Penn State showing who they are. Penn State, mm-hmm. Again, you have the haves and you have the have-nots. Ohio State, Michigan being the haves. Penn State being the have-not. Despite their status, despite them being ranked in the top 10, 
Number eight, Oklahoma State losing to number 13, TCU, 43-40 in overtime. Eric G., could you tell me, you and Pat Jones, who do a, a radio show out there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, on the Sports Animal from 11 to 2, um, their time, could you please tell me the last time um, Mike Gundy won a big game? Now, maybe TCU, this wasn't a quote-unquote big game, because normally he loses to uh, uh, Oklahoma every year. But why is it that I can never believe Oklahoma State like, they're winning these games. They're ranked at the top eight. I'm just like, they're going to lose to somebody. Mike Gundy never wins the, never wins a big game or an important game, whether it's a conference championship game, something that could really catapult that program to the next level, to where they could be really competing for a college football playoff. I don't believe in Oklahoma State. People and and, and Coach and, and, and the G-Man were down on uh, Oklahoma and, and uh, Lincoln Riley and, and those type of things. I mean... I always believed, even though that they would disappoint speaking about Oklahoma, I always believed that they had a better shot and they were more for real in terms of being contenders for championships than Oklahoma State, who could beat teams that they needed to beat. But when it came time to beating teams that they needed to beat to make it to the next level, they always falter. They always falter. And despite the fact that Oklahoma might be down, despite beating Kansas, and now we know that Kansas was nothing but a mirage, Dorothy is not going to want to come back. She wants to stay in the Wizard of. She wants to stay in. Uh, she wants to keep following that yellow brick road because it doesn't let, lead back to Lawrence, Kansas, as far as the football team is concerned. After that fifty-two forty-two loss, I wouldn't be surprised at the end of the season that Venerable beats Gundy and Oklahoma beats Oklahoma State. So there you go. So the new top ten: Georgia, Ohio State, Tennessee, number three, Michigan, number four. Clemson keeps rolling along at number five. They play Dino Babers in Syracuse next week. This should be interesting. Syracuse being one of the undefeated teams. One of nine undefeated teams, I believe. Alabama falls to number six. Mississippi, number seven. TCU, number eight. UCLA, number nine. Oregon, number 10. So about that. Oregon and UCLA showing some some, up. some some things for the Pac-10. So there you go. All right. I am out of here. want to thank you so doggone much for listening to my podcast. As always, as I beg, as I plead, as I always mention, man, do what we need to do. Please do what you need to do to um, take advantage of those who are trying to teach you something. Please take advantage of those who are trying to educate you on something. Please take advantage of those who are trying to make you better people. Please take advantage of those, even though they might not look like you, even though they might not be from the same area as you, even though they might not be from the same neighborhood as you, even though they not might not be from the same uh, um, side of the earth as you, even though they might be of a different race or a different gender or a different political affiliation, or they might love someone differently than you do or anything like that, please do me a favor. Please grow up. Please open up your mind. Please open up your ears. Please educate yourself and listen to what those people are talking about. Please, could you do that for me? Could you do that for me and realize that your little community, that your little area is not the all end that that, that ends well? It's not the end all, the be all? That there's a whole lot of world out there? There's a whole lot of different folks? There's a whole lot of different people trying to educate you on things? And... How about that? Whether you're in high school, whether you're in middle school, whether you're a young adult, whether you're middle-aged, whether you're my age. Wow, I just kind of went. Whether you're a senior citizen, man, you can always learn. You can always learn. You can always learn. You can always learn. So you can always learn. So please, take the time when someone is trying to educate you to put your defenses down, open up your ears, open up your brain, and oh, how about that? Learn something. 
It would be awesome. It would be fantastic. It'd be good for you. It'd be good for everybody else. It'd be good for the younger generation. Please, so we can live in a society where people are based on who they are as human beings, not by the color of their skin or by their gender or where they live or what community they're living in or what the um, their religious uh, beliefs are or what their political beliefs are or anything like that. If we could do that. It would be fantastic. Wendell Wallace. Wendell's world is sports. Be good. Be safe. Be everything that you need to be. Get me out of here with the music.